Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, command that I come out and on the water with you. And what does Jesus say? Come. We don't have the recorded words of Peter, but I think Peter said, what? <laughs> but what did Peter do? He got out of the boat. I'm like the preacher who said, I'd rather walk on water a few, step, few steps and sit in the boat talking about how good Jesus is. That's what Peter did. He walked on the water a few steps, took his eyes off Jesus and sank. But th- what a spirit. How many of you have ever walked on water? Nobody. I mean, Peter, you are the Christ. Walked on water. He had his spiritual highs, but also he had his spiritual downs. Right after confessing that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer. And Peter said, God forbid, not you. Not you. Get behind me. What? What do you call him? What did Jesus call him? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. For you're setting your mind on man's interest, not on God's interest. Just recently in this passage, a few nights before, Peter had really blown it. We know that famously. I will lay down my life for you, Peter promised. But within a few hours, he denied that he even knew the Lord. He stood warming himself by the fire with the enemies of Christ. He stood there with that crowd while Jesus stood alone before his accusers. Before the night was over, Peter had denied Jesus three times. The last time by swearing. And and I really just looked at this. I don't know why I just studied it. Really, He cursed with an oath. It was something like, you know, may I be destroyed. I'm, I swear to you, I do not know this man. He was bringing a curse upon himself. And I heard a preacher who used a four-letter word loudly in the pulpit. I don't think that's the kind of cursing he was doing. He was placing a curse upon himself. If I'm lying to you, may I be cursed. But he cursed with, the, with an oath declaring, I do not know the man. Then the Bible says he went out and he wept bitter, bitterly. Last week, Pastor Colby shared with us how Jesus restored him. Jesus looked at Peter. He gazed at him. He pursued Peter. Ultimately, he renewed, and then he restored Peter. But I want us this morning, for the sake of following Christ, to kind of lay all the cards on the table, so to speak. Let me tell you, there are ups and downs for all of us who'd want to follow Christ. When we receive the call to follow, the first thing it does, his call reveals our weaknesses. And we all have weaknesses. Peter had weaknesses. And so let's look at Peter's weaknesses and relate those to ours. First of all, when we receive the call to follow, our promises are not enough. Matthew 26, 33, Jesus said, I'm gonna die. You're gonna be scattered. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Verse 35, same chapter. Peter, boldly, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Let me tell you, I believe Peter was very sincere. I don't think he intentionally lied. I don't think he intentionally made promises he couldn't keep. But he had no idea what was going on. He had no idea of the magnitude of spiritual warfare of what was about to happen in that garden in that night. He made promises he couldn't keep. Let me tell you, I I wanna go back to my childhood days. I grew up in Evergreen, Alabama. People say, where's Evergreen? It was about 30 minutes from Montgomery by telephone. (laughs) It's way out in the woods. But I went to Evergreen Baptist. 
And, you know, I walked the aisle when I was eight years old. And I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I rededicated my life about 10 times. Every time I heard a sermon about hell or commitment, I would do an inventory and I realized, hey, Keith, you're not measuring up. I began to realize as a believer later on that I didn't need to rededicate. I need to repent. I need to repent. But I would make promises as a child. Lord, I want to do better. I want my life to be different. And I would rededicate my life. Brother Sam Grenade would shake my hand. Here comes Keith again. <laughs> He's going to rededicate his life. Let's all pray for him. But there was no level or spiritual depth in my life. It was something I knew I needed to be better. I knew I needed to walk closer with the Lord and, and I would promise to do better. And I failed nine times out of eight. That's every time. I couldn't do it in spite of all my best efforts. Peter had made some promises that he couldn't keep. Peter learned that night that his own power is not enough. Our power is not enough. Peter's problem revealed itself that night in the garden. You remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John in, into the inner part of the garden with him? And, and Jesus said, you stay here, keep watching, and what? Praying. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. So what did they do? Fell asleep. Thank you, Michael. They fell asleep. They couldn't do it. They didn't have, I, and again, before, I don't want to be running from Peter for all eternity. Let's give them some slack. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what was going to happen that night. They didn't realize what was at stake. But this was one of the most crucial moments of their entire life. Jesus knew what was going to happen. So he says, you're going to need supernatural power. You're going to need supernatural assistance. So what I want you to do is stay here and watch and pray. And they fell asleep. They fell asleep. Not knowing the magnitude of the situation of the moment, Peter took sleep as a priority over prayer. Now, I know none of you have never, ever done that. <laughs> but I have to confess. You know, I like what Jack Taylor says. A believer's spiritual life will never rise above the level of his prayer life. Is that convicting? Our, our, our power is not enough. Peter failed to pray in the most crucial time of his life. Then when the, when the soldiers and the guard, they come to arrest Jesus, what's the first thing Peter does? He resorts to his own power. He takes out a sword. Now, we don't know if it was a long sword or one of those kind of semi-swords or whatever, but he goes for the guy's head and he cuts his ear. I'm gonna tell you, there's no way in the world you can go up and cut somebody's ear off. There's only one way to cut off somebody's ear. I almost fell. And they got his ear. He went for his head, but he got an ear. What did Peter do? He, the only thing he knew to do is fight. Fight. Hey, Jesus, you get the first two and I'll get the next two. And, you know, hey, we're going to take. No. How many times when we're faced with a challenge, maybe a physical challenge, a financial challenge, a relational challenge, and the first thing we do is we rely on our own resources. We do what we've always done. We do what the world tells us to do instead of submitting that issue or that challenge to the Lord. Peter realized his own power was not enough. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 
nothing. Jesus calls us to a personal and intimate relationship with him through our prayer life, through the power that he supplies. And and one other thing about Peter that night that I think that reveals to us uh, one of his weaknesses. When Jesus was standing before his accusers, Peter was standing around the fire with other enemies, if you will, of Christ. He was with the wrong crowd. He was standing there warming himself by the fire with those who were there to see the show. Man, they're going to get Jesus now. What do you think going to do to him? I mean, isn't it it funny that here's Peter close to Jesus, and then when he gets around the crowd, when he gets around the fire, when he gets around the enemies of Christ, his whole vocabulary changes. His whole vocabulary changes. Have you ever noticed how you can talk one way with one crowd and maybe another with a different kind of crowd? Brother Jared, where's Brother Jared? Man, he did a great job yesterday at our men's breakfast. And he talked to our men about temptation. And temptation comes to us from three enemies. We have Satan, we have the world, and we have flesh, okay? And Jared did a great job of tying all this together. But while you were talking yesterday, brother, I was thinking about Peter. Because here, Jesus said, Satan's going to sift you. And boy, did Satan work him over. You know, there are three kinds of Christians in the world. There are those who are fighting in the battle. There are those who aren't fighting in the battle. And then there are those that don't even know there's a battle going on. Hey, we got an enemy. And he's like a roaring lion. He's going to come against us. Satan attacked Peter. He's going to sift him like wheat. Then the flesh, I think, involved. When, when Peter saw Jesus going through all he was going through, he said, I don't want that. Fear. You know, the flesh is much more than lust. The flesh can be greed. It can be fear. And fear took over Peter. And so he backed up a little closer to the enemy's fire. And then the world. We have three enemies, Satan, the flesh, and the the world. A worldly philosophy, which is a godless philosophy. And I think as Peter found himself in that crowd listening to the other conversation, his faith went down the tubes. So when we're tempted, we're tempted on those three levels. Peter, when he, fought, when he heard the call, exposed his own weaknesses. Peter's failures remind us of our weaknesses. We have a formidable enemy. We cannot follow Christ in our own power. But notice, as Kobe talked last week, notice how Jesus restores Peter. Jesus knows the problem that Peter has. Let me tell you, first of all, Peter's problem was not a faith problem. How do we know that? How do we know his problem was not a faith problem? Because Jesus did not ask Peter, Peter, do you believe in me? Peter, do you believe? No. What did Jesus ask Peter? Do you what? Do you love me? You see, Peter's problem was not a faith problem. It was a love problem. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Interesting. We just sang a song about the love of God. Church, if we could ever grasp how much God loves us, we will never be the same. Never. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says the love of Christ controls us. Pastor Colby, this past week in staff meeting, asked us in the staff meeting, 
What does the love of Christ control? How does the love of Christ control you? What does the love of Christ compel you to do? He asked the church Wednesday night, great question. What does the love of Christ compel a believer to do? I think very obviously, the first thing would be to say no to sin. Do we love sin more than we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus more than we love sin? Do we love Jesus more than we love the world? The love of Christ controls us. I wanna give you a simple little equation that I think kind of summarizes the gospel. Grace, it all starts with grace. Do we have that, Katie? Yes, grace. Everything we have, you know, Paul asked the church at Corinth, what do you have that you did not receive? What's the answer? Nothing. You know what nothing is, is no thing. (laughs) No thing do I have apart from God's grace, God's gift. Grace, when we begin to understand grace, that I think naturally, when God has done for us, out of the goodness of his heart, for his own glory, but out of the goodness of his heart, his grace to us, it, gratitude is our only response. God, thank you. Thank you. Grace leads to gratitude, which leads to, I think, loving obedience. You know, love is the most powerful motivator in the, in the world. It makes third grade boys take a bath and comb their hair and brush your teeth. Love is amazing force. It is unbelievable. Peter's problem was not a faith problem. It was a love problem. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? So obviously everything begins with grace. Grace. Experiencing God's grace leads us to an overwhelming gratitude, which results in loving obedience. And all of this is empowered by the Spirit. Don't leave out of here this morning and say, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to love God. I'm going to be faithful. God gives us the Holy Spirit. Don't you know, Paul says, that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, and the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And God loves us so much that he gives us his own Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, to dwell in us, to empower us, to enable us to do what we cannot do in the flesh. Grace leads to gratitude, which leads to loving obedience empowered by the Spirit. We can do nothing without the Spirit of God. So his call reveals our weaknesses. We cannot follow him in our own strength. His call reshapes our life's work. Jesus captured Peter's heart and his life work changed. He fed the sheep. He was no longer a fisherman. He was a fisher of men. Did Peter get it? Yes, he did. All we have to do is read his letters, first and second Peter. You can see how God just transformed this man. And this is why if you read those letters, you can see Peter was a very bright man. He, he was not, as I described him earlier, so I take that back. But Peter, but the, my favorite, one of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 3.15. Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Do you want further evidence that Peter was a changed man? Would you have ever used the two words gentleness and reverence in relationship with Peter (laughs) and everything we've talked about in the Bible? No, Peter, the love of God transformed his life. And he says, when you sanctify, when sanctify means to set apart, when you make Christ or set apart Christ as first in your life, as Lord of your life, and you're walking with Christ, people are going to say, hey, Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, Kaylee, 
What's going on? How can you have peace in the midst of all the turmoil? Hey, Jennifer, what's going on? How can you have peace? People are going to ask you about the hope that's within you. And we answer them, be ready with gentleness and reverence, just like Peter (laughs) in his old age. In his old age, God transformed his heart. The love of Christ transformed his heart. So his work changed. He became a shepherd of the church. Let me just read a couple other verses that tell us that. In 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. This wasn't something Jesus had to guilt Peter into doing. Peter, you blew it three times. I'm going to give you another chance. You go out and shepherd my sheep. You tend my sheep, take care of my flock, and we'll call it even. No. The love of Christ transformed Peter's life, and he shepherded shepherded the flock with eagerness. When we're following Christ, we find that his call reshapes our life's work. Let let me say something. I know we got a great number of students here. You know, as a college student, you may have felt as a child called to a particular career. Maybe it's medicine or law or education or marketing or, or whatever. But when we are following Christ, Christ may not necessarily change your vocation, but it will definitely change how you view your vocation. As a follower of Christ, we want to do everything we do for the glory of God. And we see our vocation as a math teacher, a businessman, as a lawyer. We see our vocation as an opportunity to serve Christ by sharing the gospel and serving other people. This is where God has placed me to be salt and light in this field, this medical field, this education circle, wherever it is. I am there for a purpose. Now, he may call some of you into ministry. That's when I was called to ministry as a freshman at Alabama. I came to Christ. And a guy named Terry Cook began to disciple me. And as he discipled me, a part of discipleship is reproduction. He taught me how to reproduce. And I began to disciple other teammates. And I began to realize, hey, this is pretty cool. This is what I want to do. And God confirmed that over the years. So some of you may be called to full-time Christian ministry. But some of you may say, you know, I'm a believer. But I'm going to be a math teacher for the glory of God. I'm going to be in science for the glory of God. I'm going to be in business for the glory of God. Our youngest son, he's kind of a rebel. Um, (laughs) Cameron is our youngest. If he'd been born first, he'd be an only child. I'll tell you what, he taught us us what it really means to be a parent, okay? He's always been that way, but now, praise God, he's a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, Iron City. If you're ever up there, go see him. But he wrote an article for David Platt's publication. It said, it got my, he said, for Christ's sake, don't go to Bible college. My son, you went to Bible college. <laughs> but his point is this, get an, a working degree, a degree you can use on the mission field. And that's the new mission strategy now. Send doctors and lawyers and mathematicians and businessmen and women to foreign fields. Go in, have a job, make money, but share the gospel for the glory of God. So when we're following Christ, it reshapes how we view our vocation, okay? He reshapes our life's work. Our work will be done for the glory of God, motivated by the love for God. 
Thirdly, his call radically impacts the way we walk, impacts our walk. When we're following Christ, obeying his will becomes primary in our life. What is God's will for my life as a student? What is God's will for my life in business? What is God's will for my life in this relationship? God does not delight in hiding his will from us. He doesn't play games like that. We can seek God and know his will. And now as a believer, if we really follow Christ, his, his, his will impacts our life. And what does he call us to do quickly? Well, first of all, we walk in faith. Peter knew what it meant to walk in faith. Peter's walk in ministry was in one of the most difficult times of human history. During that time, the church was being persecuted by Nero, the emperor of Rome. They would take Christians and wrap them in animal skins and throw them out to the floor of the Colosseum, and people would have great fun in watching these Christians be destroyed by animals. They would take Christians and soak them in oil, and Nero would take these, these Christians who had been soaked in oil, their clothes, put them in his garden as human torches. I mean, Peter knows what it's like to be persecuted. So he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this, our spiritual inheritance, you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. I mean, that's like saying Raquel Welch is cute. I mean, you know, various trials. I mean, you just, how can you belittle something? Sorry about that. How can you belittle something so little? I mean, so major, okay? How, you've been distressed by various trials. They were boiled in oil, fed to animals. Peter says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's faith is firm. When he went through the fire, he was motivated by love. Jesus had already told him, when you grow old, you're gonna die a faithful man. We walk in faith, we walk in faith. Peter closes his first letter with these words. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is from a man who knew God's word to be true. What a powerful declaration of faith. What a powerful encouragement to all of us who go through difficult times. What's he saying? Suffering does not last forever, for a little while. It has its limits, but God's grace knows no limits. He is the God of all grace. Faith, we walk in faith. Peter was a man who knew what it was to follow Christ as we walk in Christ's steps, in his steps. Look at this. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. When Jesus right after that breakfast, said, you follow me. I think those words just rang in Peter's mind the rest of his life. And that's why he would write this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, 
leaving you an, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What did it mean to Peter to follow Christ? It meant that I'm gonna follow in his steps. Wow, you're talking about setting the standards high. And what did he say about Jesus who committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth? To follow in the steps of Jesus, I wanna share with you this morning, we have to have a commitment to holiness, a holy lifestyle. Since, you know, Jesus committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth. You know, holiness is not a word we use very often. It may not be very popular, but yet that's what God calls us to. He says in chapter one, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, you know, as we honestly look at this, we see this, Paul said this, not that I've already become perfect, but one thing I do, it's not the perfection of our life, church, listen to me, it's the direction of our life. Am I pursuing Christ? Do I want to walk in the steps of Christ? Am I serious about sin in my life and disobedience? Am I pursuing God's will for my life? Do I say yes to Jesus and no to sin because I love Jesus more than I love sin? It gets down to pretty simple but a holy lifestyle. While being reviled, he said he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. What do we see there? A humble attitude. Church, let me tell you, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility in mind that you regard one another as more important than yourself. Have the same attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He humbled himself. Why? Because he kept entrusting himself to God's plan. And I call that a heavenly perspective. The key to following Christ is to keep our minds stayed on him. That's a heavenly perspective. To realize, as the old gospel writer, songwriter said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The call to follow Jesus. Let me tell you this. Jesus said to Peter, don't worry about John. You follow me. God's call on your life is just as individual as every person in this room. You follow me. Let me ask you a couple questions and we'll be done. First is this. Have you been trying to follow Christ in your own power? Maybe you found yourself in a Christian crowd here at the university and you're just kind of going along with, hey, we're going to church. Yeah, I'll hop in. But there's no personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the Father, and your Son, whom you have a personal relationship with Christ. Have you been following Christ in your own strength? It's been a rocky road if you have, but it doesn't have to continue that way. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing, but in Christ, we can do all things. Secondly, have you surrendered your life's work to the Lord? To find and do his will for your life is the greatest joy. So many times we want to compartmentalize our life. This is my Christian life. This is my vocation. Hey, there's no no distinction. God calls you to be a Christian, godly wife, mother, doctor, lawyer, whatever God calls you to be, mathematician for his glory and for the good of others. Are you serious about your walk with Christ, a walk of holiness, humility, 
maintaining a heavenly perspective, realizing in this world, you shall have tribulation. Jesus promised that. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's the good news. Like many of us, Peter was self-confident, self-assured as a young man until the love of Christ changed his life forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you.